0: All right, this morning, uh, we talked, we kind of did a survey of the Nativity story from Luke one and two and Matthew one and two. Uh, spent most of our time in Luke as we will uh, as we will this evening also. Um, there was one thing just as a as a uh, as a trivia question. One of the things I mentioned this morning as we looked at the cross overshadowing the Lord in the Nativity, and you could see, the, uh, you know, the, the cross of Christ, his sacrifice uh, is seen throughout that, even in the beginning of his, of his life, even before he was conceived even. And uh, there was one thing I, I uh, didn't get to, which was the presence of myrrh. Now, one of the wise men brought myrrh, which is, a, of course, a spice. And uh, there are two times in the, in the, the New Testament Specifically, in the Gospels in which myrrh is mentioned, in relation to the, in the relation to the, the sacrifice of Christ, his, his death, does, does anybody know what the two times are? Can somebody give me one? Myrrh. Because you, of course, they brought myrrh, but there's two other times it's mentioned. Anybody want to guess? Correct. They gave him myrrh mixed with vinegar while he was on the cross. And there was one other one. One of the spices that they anointed, they were intending, they didn't anoint Jesus' body, but they intended to, uh, was myrrh. So even in, the, even in the myrrh being brought, which of course I doubt the wise men, you know, they, they're just bringing whatever is valuable, Uh, I doubt they understood the implications and the uh, foreshadowing that would be there, but even that uh, reminded us of the the cross. Tonight what we're going to do is we're going to take kind of the same approach as we took this morning, and we're going to do another survey of the nativity stories in Matthew and Luke, but this time we're going to look at a different subject that is also seen through Matthew and Luke, but this is uh, uh, as it's seen in the Nativity, in Christ, the, the, His birth and His conception. And uh, we are going to look at, at several verses, and, and this is going to be a little bit of a deeper dive. Uh, so get your Bibles, and, uh, and we're going to be turning to some different places because I want you to see these things. Um, because, listen, the, this question... This question, I know I've covered it before in different ways, but this question was really the core question that was uh, that constantly the Lord was constantly confronted with in His earthly ministry. And the question is this, who is He? Who is He? Remember, there was a conversation in the book of John in which they said, If thou be the Christ, then tell us plainly. And He said, I've been trying to tell you. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, of course. And then, of course, John the Baptist, when he was in prison, he said he sent his, his disciples to Jesus, and he said, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? And so the question of who Jesus was, even all the way up until, once again, the cross, they would strike him with, the, uh, with, a, you know, with, a, with a rod, remember? And they said, you know, they blindfolded him and struck him, and they said, if, you know, if thou be Christ, tell us who, you know, prophesy who it, who it is that, that smote thee, and all those kinds of things where they mocked who he was. They did not believe who he was throughout his ministry. It's always about who he was. Here Jesus was at the baptism of John. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away. In other words, there's always a question, and, and the Lord, even all of his miracles, that was always what what it was ultimately about was to demonstrate who he was, who he was. And even even to this very day. The question of who Jesus is is still debated, and you know what it's not a modern question it's not debated by us of course, but it's debated it's debated by those you know theologians and those of different religious belief systems, whether it be in Christianity or cults or non-Christian religions it's always a question of who who was or who is Jesus of Nazareth and in the, divinity, in, in the nativity story, you see there are ways you can see the divinity of Christ displayed. Because the reality is Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah and Joseph and others that are main characters in the nativity story, they knew who he was. <laughs> there was no question about who he was. There was no debate. But that debate still rages. And you know what? It's not new, as I said. It, it's a debate that has been going on ever since... There was a church. Almost immediately, in church history, almost immediately after the apostles died, there was false doctrine and error that was that had that rose up in church history that challenged who Jesus was. And uh, and it was something, <clears throat> excuse me, that was dealt with over and over and over throughout church history. And the reason there has always been a question. Again, not with us, but a question that lingers is because that question, that question, who is Jesus? That question is central to the devil's purposes to question who he is. Because really all of our beliefs, all of our faith, all of our salvation really hinges. You know, there are are several things upon which our salvation hinges, right? In other words, central truths that if false, none of the rest of it matters. For instance, the resurrection, right? If Jesus is not alive, none of this matters. Well, the identity of Christ is one of those things, who Jesus is. So we want to look at the divinity of Christ as seen in the nativity. The divinity of Christ as seen in the nativity. All right, so we'll start in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew 1 and verse... Number 18. Let's pray, and then we will begin in Matthew 1, verse 18. Father, once again, thank you for the the time to look in your word, help your people to be at this moment students of your word, to be uh, familiar and wise unto salvation, to be uh, people who are skillful and, um, and able to wield the sword of the Spirit, to know what the Bible says and to know why it says it and to know what they believe and to know on this most important question, Lord, who you are, who Jesus is. And uh, Lord, there are a few questions more important than this question, but Lord, even as we think of your uh, incarnation how you came into the world, this question is prominent. And so, we, Lord, Lord, we just want to know the truth, and so I pray that you would help us to learn it and uh, to, that tonight would be a blessing to your people, not just to the people that are here, but to those that are listening as well. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. All right, verse 18 says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together she was found, of the Holy Ghost. Notice it says, before they came together. All right. Uh, speaking of their, of course, intimate relationship, verse number 20 says, But while he he, Joseph, thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary, thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. So by this time Mary had already conceived, and Joseph was obviously had questions. And the Lord uh, assures Joseph that the conception of Mary is of the Holy Ghost and not of any man. Verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Notice, a virgin shall be with child. Of course, that is a, a, a lady who had never known a man. And then in verse 25, the Bible says, And Joseph knew her not. Till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Of course, we we do not believe in what is called the. Actually, let me rephrase that. The Bible does not teach, as we saw last night at our banquet, the Bible does not teach what is called the perpetual virginity of Mary. Mary had kids, and the brothers and sisters of uh, half, I guess, brothers and sisters of the Lord were sinners just like you and you and I were. Why? Because Mary and Joseph were sinners, and that was passed on to them. Uh, so we, the Bible does not teach the immaculate conception of Mary. That is that Mary was born without sin. That is a, a doctrine that is that is taught and believed. That is not what the Bible teaches. Mary uh, disclaims that doctrine herself, and it does not teach her perpetual virginity. That is not true, and it certainly does not teach in what is called Mariolatry, the the worship of Mary. Mary, and that's why you'll never you, you will not hear me often say, refer to Mary as the Virgin Mary. Uh, that's just, that's not terminology I use. It's not what the Bible uses. And so, uh, and it, I think it confuses who Mary was. Now, of course, Mary was a very virtuous woman. And of course, she had been pure up to this point. Now, why is the virgin birth of Christ? How can you see Christ's divinity in, the, in his virgin birth? It is because the virgin birth of Christ means that his generation was not natural, all right? His generation was not natural. Because he was virgin born, uh, and and Jesus was not born as a result of the natural relationship between Joseph and Mary, he was not the son of Joseph. He was and is, and he's called, we'll see in a minute, the son of God. And with that term, the son of God, comes all of these other implications that we'll see in just a second. Had he been born the son of Joseph, he would not have been the son of God. And if he's not the son of God, he's certainly not divine. All right, So that's why the virgin birth is so important. Now, if you look in um, Galatians really quick. Again, we're going to flip to some verses tonight, both in the Old and New Testament. So if you turn fast, we'll, we'll study fast and get through the verses. But notice one thing in Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. And this is why it's important. Jesus, because he was not the son of Joseph, because he was the son of God, and that is is seen by the virgin birth, because of that, Jesus' beginning, we could say, Jesus' beginning was not with the relationship of Joseph and Mary. Like, Ben, when did you begin? You began with Brother and sister Mark, right? That's where you started. You didn't exist before then, but that is not so with the Lord Jesus. He was the son of God before he was born. And that's, that's why the Old Testament uses the term, like, for instance, in Psalm 2, it refers to the son, kiss the son, uh, lest he be angry. And so in Galatians 4.4, 4, notice the language, what, what the Bible says about this. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth. His Son, sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. Notice that. That means that that Jesus, notice it says His Son, the Son of God, was present in heaven before the events of Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2. Jesus was already there. And over and over in John 3, the Bible says God uh, sent not his son you notice know, the sent that means uh, he's here now and God sends him from this place to another place it's not just a, a, a euphemism or another way to a restatement of Jesus was born. He was see brother brother Ben I mentioned brother Ben when brother Ben was born brother Ben was not sent from anywhere he was born right Jesus not so because he was the son of God because he was not the son of Joseph he was Sent. That means, that's what's called the pre-existence of Christ. That Christ existed before He was sent. Now notice, um, uh, going back in Matthew, verse number, uh, chapter 1, verse 23, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel. Which being interpreted is, God with us. Now go to, we're going to be going back to Matthew, but so hold your place there. But look at Isaiah 7. Of course, you're familiar with this verse. This actually covers both of these points I want to make. Isaiah 7, verse number 14. The Bible says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, the virgin birth of Christ is asserted here. But then the name Emmanuel, which we know in Matthew is, is interpreted, it means God with us. So you see the divinity of Christ in this name given to the Lord, even from some 600 years before Jesus was born. That name means that baby, by, by virtue of his being given that name, it identifies him. This is God now with us, And notice it's in connection to his birth. Because in his birth is when, his, when he was sent from heaven, he was sent to dwell among us. John 1, he, he dwelt among us. And so at that moment, that's why the name Emmanuel comes into play at that moment in Matthew 1 when Jesus is born. Because at that point is when, is when God began to be among us. So even the name Emmanuel tells us who he is. He is God. Among us, God with us. All right, look at chapter 2 of Matthew, verse 1. The Bible says, Now, when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Jump, jump down to verse 6. And thou, now, this is the prophecy of, of Bethlehem, and thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor. That shall rule my people Israel. Now, we, who knows where this, is, this prophecy is found? Anybody? Off the top of your head? Micah. Correct. Let's look at it Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Let's see who can get there first. It's, when, it's in the little short books with the white pages. All right. Verse 2. Now notice, we're talking about the divinity of Christ seen in the nativity, okay? In Micah 5, 2, the Bible says this, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel. Now notice, okay, now follow the grammar, okay? God is speaking, and He says, out of thee, Bethlehem, shall he, okay, that's another person. Now remember, God is speaking to Bethlehem. And He's referring to another person. He says, Out of thee, Bethlehem, shall he, this other person, come forth unto me, God, that is to be ruler in Israel. Okay, that's we're clear with that so far. But notice how this, this second person is described. "...whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting." So, we know that God is from everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting thou art God. But in this case, God is speaking of one who comes out of Bethlehem as a second person, right, that is also from everlasting." You know, obviously, if you were reading this, you know, a thousand years ago, or this this wouldn't have been this would have been like 500 years ago, before 500 years before Christ was born. If you were reading that, that would be really confusing. Who, beside God, who is speaking, has going forth from everlasting? See, this is not this is not a reference to Christ's eternality, as in He will be forever in the future, but He has been forever in the past. You know, that is a a characteristic that only God has. And this is, we see in this verse, we see an aspect of the Trinity. We see that Christ, according to this verse, the ruler being spoken of, of course, we know in Matthew, in Matthew, you can go back there, in Matthew, that is obviously a reference to the birth of Christ in Bethlehem, right? That person was a person who existed forever in eternity, So that means that the baby who was born did not have a beginning. And God himself said that. So this is where, you know, people people are like, well, that doesn't make any sense. How can Jesus be God and the Son of God? Listen, this is what the Bible says. It doesn't matter if we understand it. Not everything about God we're going to understand and be able to sound the depths of it. You see, this means that, that Jesus, of course, as a human being, we know he was... His body was made, but Jesus as his person has always existed, just like Micah says. He was never created. That's the key. Now, Arianism, and I've mentioned this before, but just as a reminder, Arianism is the idea, and this goes way back in history. Arianism holds that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Who was begotten by God the Father with the difference that the Son of God did not always exist but was begotten or made before time by God the Father? You see, here's the problem with that. In other words, they believe, they'll say, well, Jesus is the Son of God, but he was created at the very beginning. Well, that's not what Micah says. Micah says that the one born in Bethlehem, his goings forth have been from everlasting. Right, But the, the, one of the chief errors in this is that, the, the, is that the, the term Son of God, we'll see in just a minute, the term Son of God is somehow a lesser God. And this is essentially what it comes down to. If Jesus, they'll say, if Jesus is not God, He's, he's just the Son of God. They'll say it like that. But you see people worship and all these things. That means Jesus is like a, a secondary God of some kind? No. We'll see why that's false in just a minute. Back in Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Where is he that is born a king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to... What's the next word? Worship him. Verse 11. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. We saw this last week, right? This demonstrates the... Uh, the divinity of Christ, even as a baby, they worshiped him. Now, nowhere in Scripture, there is not a place to be found in Scripture in which a godly person accepts worship. Do you know that? Even the angels in Revelation, where you have uh, John so overwhelmed by what he sees, he falls down before the angel that's instructing him and and leading him through all these visions. And the angel says, what are you doing? Get up. Worship God, right? You won't find any person, not Peter, and we've seen several of these as we've gone through the book of Acts with Cornelius wanting to worship Peter. They say, what are you doing? I'm just a man. And when we get into uh, chapter 14 of Acts, which is our next chapter in our study of Acts, we're going to see that again. There is not a place in which a godly man ever accepts worship. In every case, they deliberately prevent it. And what's more is the worship of anything or anyone except God Himself is prohibited. That's what we said on Wednesday night, right? The first commandment, the second commandment. Therefore, if Jesus was not very God, any worship of Him would be idolatry and a violation of the first and second commandment. So you can't have it both ways either Jesus is God or he is not to be worshipped period you see it is really black and white in this in this matter he can't be a secondary god like a lesser god or anything like that because if that's the case worshipping him is a violation of the first commandment all right look at let's go to Luke now Luke chapter 1 That's when when we were, when I was trying to plan the lighting to make the lighting better. Um, one thing that I wanted, I mean, we could, you know, we could have, we could have put in uh, black tiles like they do in some of the some of the modern churches. They put in black tiles, and they make it dark and have big shining lights on the on the stage. But I didn't want to do that, you know why? Obviously, but I wanted it to be bright in here, you know why? So we could look at what the Bible says. That's one thing that. M- mattered a lot. So w- that's why we're looking at these verses. Luke 1:17, the Bible says this. All right, this is a reference to John the Baptist now. And the angel speaking to Zechariah, he says, And he, that's John, shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias, that's Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You think, well, that's, that's good. That's good. But that's, that's actually a quotation from Malachi chapter 4. So what are we going to do? We're going to look at Malachi chapter 4. If you would look at that real quick, because you're only a few books over from Malachi. Malachi 4, <clears throat> excuse me. Verse 5. So, what the angel says to Zechariah was in fulfillment of a prophecy of Malachi. That prophecy says this in verse 5 Behold, I will send you Elijah, that's the Elias we read, the prophet before the coming of of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Look at verse 2. But unto you that fear my name, shall the Son... All right, stop. Son of righteousness. Now stop. I know that in English, the word S-O-N and the word S-U-N sound the same. But the Bible was not originally written in English. So any connection like that, well, the son of righteousness, and we just change the U to an O. Well, that's, this, is a, this is a reference. The son of righteousness is a reference to a dawn, right? A dawning. And that's actually, we, we actually read it this morning when the Bible referred to the day spring that hath visited us. It's a, a reference to the dawning of light, the dawning of the sun. This is talking about Jesus, all right? It says the son of righteousness is, arises with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves in the stall. So it mentions, in verse 2, it mentions the son of righteousness with healing. And in verse 5, he talks about Elijah the prophet coming before the day of the Lord. Now, I want you to note this because we're going to see this in a minute. This capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, this is always and forever in the Old Testament, a reference to the name of the true and the living God, right? We call, we might say Jehovah, all right? So in Luke 1, verse 17, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elias. Now notice, and he shall go before him. You see that? Luke 1, 17. Who is the him? According to Malachi 4, 5, who is the him? It's the Lord, the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. So the prophecy shows that Elijah goes before the day of the Lord, Jehovah. And Jesus fulfills that. The angel says Jesus fulfills that prophecy. That means Jesus is Jehovah. All right, look at Luke Luke again. Chapter 1, verse number 32. Or verse 31, to get the context here. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and, and uh, bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father, David. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also, that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. All right, so look at the name, the Son of God. Again, we talked about Arianism, which describes the Son of God as a lesser God, right? But what does the Bible say? All right, look at John 5. John chapter 5. The Jews understood what the term Son of God meant. There was no question who they were talking about when Jesus said He was the Son of God. This is why the question of Jesus being the Son of God was so important. Now, we think of Jesus and the question of His divinity in terms of, is Jesus God? But that wasn't really what what they were talking about in, in the book of John. In the book of John, the question was, is was He the Son of God? Here's why. John 5 and verse number 18. Now, if you look at 17, notice what Jesus says. But Jesus answered them, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Now, if He's calling God His Father, then what does that imply? It implies that Jesus is God's Son, the Son of God. And so, verse 18, Therefore... That is, because Jesus said that, the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because he had not only broken the Sabbath, but said... Now this, Now listen now, this is the reason the Jews are trying to kill him. This is not what I think or you think. This is what the Jews are doing. But said also that God was his father, making himself equal with God. All right, what does that mean? Let's process. The Jews wanted to kill him because Jesus called himself the Son of God, described himself as the Son of God, because they knew that to be the Son of God was to be equal with God. So this idea that you have God the Father and then a lesser God the Son, or or the Son of God, is not accurate. To be the Son of God is to be equal with God, which is why the Jews wanted to kill him. And so when we go back... Knowing that, so I'm, I bring that up because that is a common argument you'll get with the cults. Well, Jesus, they'll, they'll say that, just like I said a minute ago. Well, we believe Jesus is the Son of God, He's just not God. Okay, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what the word means. But in the nativity of Christ, multiple times, therefore that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. That is a statement of Jesus Divinity. All right, that's what I want you to see. All right, look at uh, Luke 1 again, verse 33. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Notice that, a promise of an eternal kingdom. All right, hold your place here. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7. This is speaking of Christ. Says this, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it, with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So Christ's kingdom is an eternal kingdom. In other words, He's going to sit on the throne and reign forever. That speaks of His divinity because He is eternal. But in this same context, go back up to the the previous verse. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Notice in, in verse 7, it also mentions the government. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. Well, that's, that's like the lesser. No, 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 no. There's only one God, right? The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is obviously a reference to Jesus prophetically, and yet he's called the Mighty God and the Everlasting Father thereby asserting his divinity. Now back in Luke chapter 1, verse number 43. The Bible says this. Mary, I'm sorry, Elizabeth is giving her praise when she meets uh, Mary. And she says, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? That's interesting, because that, in this case, Elizabeth, who is an aged lady, an aged lady, is referring to a not-yet-born infant in the womb of a young lady as her Lord. Now, normally, uh, and this, this happened later when Jesus said of Ab- to the Jews of Abraham, he said, before Abraham was, I am. You see, they, they thought it incomprehensible that anybody would refer to Abraham as as lower than themselves. Especially when you consider, you know, the way that they viewed elders in that society. Well, in this case, this elderly lady is referring to a baby not yet born as her Lord. Again, a statement of Christ's deity. Look at verse 69. Zacharias, his prophecy, verse 68 rather says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Notice that term, horn of salvation. All right, hold your place. Look at Psalm 18. Psalm 18. Verse 2 says this, the Lord is my rock and my fortress. Now notice in verse 2 it says, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah, And my fortress and my deliverer, my God, the Lord is my strength. The Lord is the one in whom I trust. The Lord is my buckler, and the Lord is the horn of my salvation and my high tower. So, Zechariah refers to the baby Jesus as the horn of his salvation. And in Psalm 18, Jehovah is called the horn of his salvation. All right? Another Evidence of the divinity of Christ. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse 76. We're almost done. Hang in there. Hang in there. Your hands are tired. I know. Now, in this case, Zechariah, at this point in the prophecy, Zechariah is speaking to his son, John. Okay? He says, And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, for thou, John, Shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Go, shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his way. So we know that John the Baptist's birth was prophetic because it was a birth that was done before Jesus to prepare the way before Christ. And that's found in Isaiah chapter 40. So look at that real quick. And you'll see why this, uh, this is so important to the divinity of Christ. Isaiah 40, and and just hold your your hand in 40, because we'll be back here a couple more times. Isaiah 40, verse 3. So in Luke, Zechariah says, For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. And we think, oh yeah, he'll go before the face of Jesus. But if you look at the prophecy, it gives us other information than that. Verse 3, The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness... Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Look at, that, look at that spelling. How's it spelled? That's Jehovah, right? Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Notice that? This is a prophecy of John the Baptist, but notice who he's preparing the way for. Who's he preparing it for? Jehovah. Jehovah. And then the, the fulfillment of that in Luke of John the Baptist is to prepare for the baby Jesus. Jesus is Jehovah. All right, two more, two more. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. This is the announcement of the angels. Verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. All right. Well, that's simple enough, right? Isaiah chapter forty three verse eleven. The Bible says this, God speaking, Jehovah speaking, I, even I, am the Lord. Notice the spelling. And beside me there is no Savior. Well, Jehovah is the only Savior. (laughs) So either the Lord lied when Jesus was born or Jesus is Jehovah with us as the Savior, come to save. And that's actually what happened. Jehovah is the Savior. It's just at the time appointed, he came to accomplish that salvation, as we saw this morning. All right, lastly, look at Luke 2, verse number 34. The Bible says, And Simeon blessed them, that's Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel, and for a sign which shall be spoken against. So he's saying Jesus is going to be the cause of the fall and rising again of many in Israel. All right? That's a, prophet, a prophetic word out of Isaiah chapter 8. So look at that Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 13. You have to, again, by reading the... The the reason we're going through the the paces and reading the prophecies is because you pick up on what the prophecies are actually saying. And when you see the fulfillment, you realize, oh, the identity of of, of this one that has fulfilled the prophecy becomes clear when you look at the prophecy themselves. And this is a perfect example. Verse 13. Sanctify the Lord of hosts himself... And let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. Now notice that. Who is being spoken of? The Lord. Notice the spelling. Jehovah. And he, who's that? Verse number 14, who is the he? It has to be only one person. Come on now. Can't hear you. It's Jehovah, right? It's Jehovah. And he, Jehovah, shall be for a sanctuary. But for a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, and for a jinn and for a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Jehovah is the stone of stumbling. Jehovah is the rock of offense. In this, in this verse, it's clear, Jehovah is that person. But in this verse, in, in Luke, and also you could look at Romans chapter 9, verse 32 and 3, we won't look there. The verse I just read in Isaiah 8, Talk, is talking about Jesus. So then Jesus is that Jehovah who is the stone of stumbling, who is the cause of the fall, a stone of stumbling. It's a rock over which you trip, right? Jehovah said, I am that person. And then in, in its fulfillment, Jesus was that person. So Jesus was Jehovah. So this is, just a, this is just a brief study of all of the, or not all, probably there's probably more, of the various, when you compare the prophecies and you do the footwork and you study it out, you see that it was evident to everyone involved and it should be evident to us that that baby that was being born was actually, as we know in the New Testament, God manifest in the flesh. Let's pray.